Hey, podcast listeners, I want you to be among the first to hear about Somli, a new way to discover, shop, and interact with Texas wineries. Somli is an online marketplace where wine enthusiasts can explore wineries, join wine clubs, read reviews, and buy or give the gift of Texas wine. Similar to Etsy, Somli enables artisan wineries to sell their wine direct to consumer and cut out the middleman. Somli's marketplace will be launching in Texas very soon. To learn more or apply to join, visit somli.com and be sure to follow at somli.wine on Instagram. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 39. My guest today is Chris Hornbaker, co-owner and winemaker at Eden Hill Winery in Salina. Salina is north of Dallas, FYI. I've enjoyed getting to write about Eden Hill Winery and have been drinking these wines for a few years now, so it was fun to sit down with Chris to get the -the behind-the-scenes stories. And as always, there's Texas Wine News, including fun new programming, new mentions of Texas wine in the media, a unique spot for a new tasting room, and some nice recognition for yours truly. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. I've just wrapped up my very first annual conference of the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association. Let's just say it exceeded my expectations. At the awards luncheon, January Weesey, Executive Director of the Hill Country Wineries Association, took to the stage to present the Wine Press Award, an award given to wine, food, travel, or agriculture writers for outstanding coverage of the Texas wine industry. She announced me as the winner. Here's a little clip from the ceremony. And by the way, that was my friend Michelle Anderson who squealed when my name was announced. Shelly's love of Texas wine and the people who grow, make, and sell it is remarkable. We all know that she can write. That's how we were introduced to her. With her WSET Level 3 Certified Specialist in Wine Certificate and ability to make wine education more fun, Shelley started with Toast Wine wine Talk and writing for Texas Wine Her most recent adventure in creating and hosting This is Texas Wine Podcast in the middle of the pandemic was reason enough that Shelley was nominated and awarded the Wine Press Award. Her coverage of the entire industry from growers to winemakers Texas Wine Ambassadors and other members of the Texas Wine Media over the last year and a half has been outstanding. Shelly does her research and has a way of talking with her guests to bring out all of the details that not many of us know about their wines and their operations. Shelly has given Texas Wine a new platform to tell their stories in their own voice, and we are truly grateful for her dedication to the industry. And I have some quotes from some of your colleagues and your guests. So, Benedict Ryan of Wine Country Consulting. I'm so excited Shelly is getting this award. What a humble, smart, and wonderful woman, supporter of the Texas wine industry. Her podcasts are full of important and interesting information of the state of Texas wine industry. She's a gentle interviewer who asks great questions, makes you at ease, and laughs with you. Finally, I love the fact that her favorite drink is champagne, just like it. <laughs> Ron Yates of Spicewood Vineyards and Ron Yates Wines. Shelly is doing amazing work telling the stories of Texas wine. She is continually shining a light on our industry and bringing new fans and supporters into the fold. Jennifer McGinnis of Bendy Branch Winery says Shelly's timely launch of This is Texas Wine has helped elevate the Texas wine industry during a time when people were digesting a lot of media. Shelly has given a voice to the exciting things happening in our industry. Her knowledge and research is extensive and she shares it all in a way that's approachable and educates the listeners. I learn something new on each episode and appreciate that she shares the diversity represented across the state. And finally, from two of your colleagues, Jeff Cope from Texas Wine Lover. Shelley was an instrumental writer for Texas Wine Lover, and she wrote on wine-related topics like new wineries, wine, and product reviews, and other wine features. 
She said she was interested in starting a podcast, and we saw how successful she was in creating that. It has been a pleasure listening to every episode and helping support Shelly with the This is Texas Wine podcast. Congratulations. And Matt McGinnis of Big Thirst Marketing. Shelly Wolfong became an important voice for the Texas wine industry through hard work and perseverance. It's no accident that her This is Texas Wine podcast became wildly popular right out of the gate. She put in the work to learn the industry before starting her podcast by achieving certifications such as Wine and Spirits Education, Trust Level 3, and Certified Specialist of Wine, serving as a wine educator and being a freelance writer for Texas Wine Mother. With that background, she hit the ground running with excellent content and extensive wine industry connections to land interviews with the who's who of Texas Wine. We are fortunate to have Shelly shining the spotlight on our industry. Shelly, we are pleased to award you with the 2022 Wine Fest Award for your outstanding coverage of the Texas wine industry. I'm really so touched by this award and the kind words that were shared. Thank you, January and Twiga and everyone who listens. I'm not going to replay my remarks because they were unscripted and not particularly memorable. But as I was standing there looking out over the large crowd in the front row, I saw Ed and Susan Aller, Dr. Becker, VJ Reddy and his family, the Binghams, Neil Newsom, the Bonarigos, and so many other amazing Texas wine people. And I was kind of at a loss for words, but I do want to say thank you. And it's certainly an honor to help tell the story of Texas wine. Congratulations to the other award winners, too. Neil Newsom won the TV Munson Award for Exemplary Contributions to Texas Grape Growing. Dr. Vijay Reddy won the John R. Crosby Jr. Award for Lifetime Achievement in the Texas Wine and Grape Growing Industry. Maureen Qualia won the Benny Becker Women in Wine Award. And Larry and Janine Culkin, whose children went on to found Peternalis Cellars, won the Lewis F. Qualia Award for Pioneering Spirit in a Texas Winemaker or Grape Grower. Finally, General Bentley Nettles of the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission won the Frank Madia Award for Diligent and Altruistic Commitment to Furthering Texas Wine Through Legislative and Government Activities. If you enjoy yoga as well as Texas wine, you'll want to make note of this inaugural event. Vino Vinyasa has announced its first wine and yoga retreat. It'll take place April 8th through 10th in and around Fredericksburg. Guests will learn about and taste wines from the region, experience delicious food and wine pairings, and practice yoga vineyard side. The three-day retreat includes two nights of premium accommodations at the resort at Fredericksburg, daily yoga classes, professional wine education, and great meals too. Of course, you'll have some free time for shopping as well. Your Austin-based teachers and hosts are Morgan Perry, who also works in public relations for wineries, and Rebecca Simons. For more information or to purchase a ticket, visit the link in the show notes. I often mention wineries for sale, but here's a large established vineyard for sale. Buena Suerte Vineyard is in Meadow, the official grape capital of Texas, and this 640-acre property includes a mature 80-acre vineyard. There are 10 varieties planted there, and the grapes are sold to wineries in the state, including Messina Hoff. When asked why they've listed the property for sale, the owner said owning a vineyard is a young man's game. This property is listed for $3.7 million. Wine enthusiast once again mentioned Texas in an article, These Five Wineries Are Paving the Way for Future Winemakers. In the article, Rebecca Toy writes that Mason High School, which is just north of Fredericksburg, is the first in the state to offer a viticulture program there in the high school. And this was at the prompting of Dan McLaughlin of Robert Clay Vineyards. Since 2015, Mason students have been studying the history and science of healthy viticulture, planting a vineyard, and hand harvesting. In a recent Facebook post, Texas A&M Viticulture and Enology Program wrote, Thanks to our own Dr. Justin Shiner for writing the textbook and developing the high school viticulture curriculum, which is available to any ISD in Texas. This program has actually been going on since 2015, but I just learned about it, and so maybe it was news to you too. Jessica Dupuy includes three Texas wines in her latest Texas Monthly article on beer, wine, and spirits. It's called What to Drink Now, the Best New Texas Beers, Wines, and Spirits. 
She includes the McPherson Cellars 2019 Block Select Grenache, the Pedernales Cellars 2017 Alicante Boucher, and the Ron Yates 2021 Pickpool Blanc. So there's a new tasting room in Kerrville, and it shares an address with Kerrville Hills Winery. Nobleman Wines has opened up its own tasting room there on the property of Kerrville Hills. A sleek and modern-looking building now stands just steps away from John Rivenberg's place, and there you can sample Austin and Katie Pitzer's Nobleman Wines, made right there at Kerrville Hills. The new spot is open on Fridays, Saturdays, and other days by appointment. Last month, my podcast newsletter subscribers got a list of what I consider the top 10 nerdiest wine experiences in the Texas Hill Country. It's 10 specific things that wine nerds may want to seek out to really lean into their wine nerdiness, like spin tales and records with Henry Croson at Croson Wines in Johnson City, or to tour the latest in winery design and technology with Barbara and Miguel Aquona at Sibone Cellars, also near Johnson City. If you'd like a copy of the list, please subscribe to the podcast newsletter at thisistexaswine.com forward slash newsletter. Then shoot me a DM or email and I'll send you the list. And if you've had some wine experiences that you think are worthy of being on my list, I'd love to hear about them. Find links to all of these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. This podcast is sponsored by the Texas Wine Marketing Assistance Program, a program at the Texas Department of Agriculture that assists the Texas wine industry in promoting and marketing Texas wines and educating the public about the Texas wine industry. Commissioner Sid Miller and his team at the TDA are working to open new doors and new markets for the thriving Texas wine industry. Commissioner Miller says he's proud to be a sponsor of our podcast because we're telling the story of Texas wine. It's a story with a rich history that includes many inspiring Texans. Great wine starts in the vineyard, and Texas vineyards span across our great state. Every Texan should know that Texas not only grows grapes and makes wine, but Texas is the fifth largest wine-producing state. Texas is bigger than France, and like France, offers a wide range of growing environments, grape varieties, and wine styles. You can learn more about the TDA's Texas wine marketing efforts by visiting uncorktexaswines.com. And now for our interview. Eden Hill Winery's co-owner and winemaker Chris Hornbaker is my guest, and he's not one to brag on himself, but I've been admiring Eden Hill for a while now, and I think you'll find a lot to like about their wines and their approach to the Texas wine business. Here's our interview. Well, for anyone who's not familiar with Eden Hill, can you share how the winery and the vineyard came to be? Yes, absolutely. So uh, back in uh, 2006, um, I had uh, purchased some uh, some land up in Salina, uh, just north of Dallas. And uh, my mom and dad, uh, Clark and Linda, um, they also had some land there. And um I had been traveling a lot at that time. Um, I had uh, got my first uh, start in marketing and I had um, been traveling around the world. And I've been to every every uh, place you can imagine. I've been to Japan and China and uh, Europe, the Middle East, uh, South America, Canada. I had just been uh, doing a lot of work and I just decided that that moment in my life that I would like to try to reinvent myself actually <laughs> and um i was talking to mom and dad about our, our love of wine and um mom and dad turned to me and they said well would you uh, would you like to start uh, a winery uh, with us um, on our farms there in salina and we had always loved wine um, mom is from the bay area in san francisco and uh, dad is a farm boy from kansas <laughs> And uh, I used to spend a lot of summers on the family farms up in Kansas and really had a love of agriculture. And I said, you know what, this might be the way that uh, that I could reinvent myself here. And uh, so I said, absolutely, let's let's do it. Let's dive in. And um, I guess what's that saying? Um, It's uh, it's good to uh, uh, know what you don't know, I guess, if that's the right way to say it. And. 
we uh, started our vineyard in 2006 and I found a, uh, a college up in uh, Denison of the Grayson College, uh, the, the TV Munson Viticulture and Enology School. And I was shocked that there was such a great resource just moments away from us uh, there in Denison. And um, it all came together. We planted the vineyard. I went back to school uh, on the weekends at Grayson because it's a weekend program. And um, uh, took the classes, uh, got trained in viticulture and enology there, had wonderful teachers. And um, when we started the vineyard, you know, and it was a really an amazing time. Um, so <laughs> the funny thing is, is that I had my day job uh, in marketing um, and I was still running uh, an international team. So during the week I would do marketing and on the weekends I would uh, plant the vineyard with dad and I would do winemaking uh, at the time, but which was in our uh, small uh, kind of uh, back room area behind our tasting room. Um, we converted that into our first winery. And um, <laughs> it was really, it was really funny because uh, back in 2010, when we became a commercial winery, um, we were one of the first uh, wineries, uh, first new generation of wineries in North Texas. And uh, Salan at that time was a very small, uh, small town. And we, <laughs> I remember we would look through the windows of our tasting room and a car would drive by on the county road because we were very far out in the country there in Salina. And we'd wonder, are they going to turn in? Are they going to turn in and come to our tasting room? <laughs> oh, my. So it was uh, it was quite an experience. You know, eventually someone would turn in and we'd get our first customer. We couldn't believe it. Here was this. I think they're, they were probably a bit scared because we'd all be surrounding this one customer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Do you like it? <laughs> right. Good, do you right? like it? Yeah, exactly. So um, it was a great start. I, I love making uh, wine with mom and dad. Um, my sister, my brother-in-law, Wendy and Chanika are also involved in the winery with us. And they would help us come up and plant vines and help us uh, in the winery. So it's very, it was very much a family winery from the beginning. And um, uh, it's just, uh, it's been a joy to kind of go through that reinvention process, uh, becoming great. a winemaker. And what, what does your vineyard look like today? What, what do you have planted and what's the size? Good question. So uh, today what we've got is we have um, a two, our two acre estate vineyard on the property is uh, planted to Tempranillo. Originally we had it planted to uh, Tempranillo, uh, Cynthiana and Blanc de Bois. Uh, but we found that Tempranillo uh, grew best in our location there in Salina. Um, that vineyard itself uh, is actually on clay loam soil. Uh, it's about two feet of uh, red clay loam soil, and that sits on top of solid limestone bedrock. Um, amazingly, uh, when we were putting the vineyard in, uh, we had tried to dig the trenches by hand, but after going two feet down and your shovel strikes limestone, uh, we had to call in a Caterpillar D9. Wow. <laughs> it's a very big machine. If you guys who are this is not familiar with what a Caterpillar D9 looks like, it's a very large bulldozer type machine. And um, we put these giant steel shanks on the back and we use that to kind of break up the rock for the rows. Um, uh, the funny thing was, as I was going through uh, my um, viticulture classes at Grayson, uh, they taught me that, you know, uh, the old saying in Europe is that if you can't grow something on your field, uh, grow grapevines. And interesting. They, uh, that, that saying is so true because uh, we planted our Tempranillo vines. Uh, we planted them on like um, um, 1103 Paulson and 110R and Cobra 5BB. These are all uh, root stocks that um, are recommended for the Texas soil. Um, the Tempranillo just took off. I mean, it, it loved the soil. Um, it, it is so powerful that it actually can get its roots down into the rock and it will break through the rock. Um, to find uh, the water under the under the soil, um, but the great thing about that soil, though, is that the the clay loam soil um, gives us some water retention uh, capability. But then the limestone actually gives us very good drainage underneath that um, that vineyard. As a matter the of fact, best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, the best of both worlds. As a matter of fact, sometimes you can actually hear the water percolating through 
a limestone under the vineyard. Um, we've often wondered if we should find a, a geologist and see if there's a, a cave, a limestone cave, you know, under the vineyard. But that, um, that particular area of limestone under our vineyard is actually called the Austin Chalk. And so it runs all the way from the hill country up to up through Salina and um, ends right about where the vineyard stops. Um, what do the grapes coming out of that vineyard look like? What do, I mean, what does the wine taste like? And um, how does that soil type express itself in the wines? A great question. The, the wine from that vineyard is exceptional. Um, the, uh, the berries are very small uh, because that, that Tempranillo is really trying to get through that rock to get to its water. Um, and uh, we have just always been so surprised at the great chemistry that we get from that vineyard. Um, the pHs are very moderate, even at 24, 25 bricks. Um, oftentimes we're getting pHs of uh, 3.6, 3.7, which is really shocking because most of the time in Texas, because of our warm climate, our pHs will really climb. I mean, close to 4.0, sometimes over 4.0. But that vineyard, for some reason, um, whether it's the, the limestone uh, under the vineyard or whether it's um, our particular um, canopy training methods that we use, um, that vineyard has always produced a wonderful chemistry for us to where I, I barely have to adjust it or I don't do any adjustments um, to that fruit. Uh, very unique. Um, most other uh, grapes that I'm getting in Texas, um, I will have to do some adjustment to them uh, just to you know stay on top of pH and things like that. Um, sure. But that vineyard though has been Fantastic. That uh, vineyard as well um, has uh, won two consecutive gold medals for the wine that's produced uh, the last two years. Uh, we've been very excited about that. Um, and it really shows that you can grow great grapes in North Texas if you uh, focus on the right grape varieties and you do the right training methods um, for your area. The last time, well, the only time I've been to Eden Hill was several years ago, and you were just completing a new winery. Oh, yes. <laughs> so tell me about that space and what that has allowed you to do. That was our, our dream winery. Um, uh, as I was saying, when we started out, we were using kind of our back room of our current tasting room as our winery to get started. And um, uh you know, the, the good thing about that, even though it was small and cramped, was it taught me exactly what we needed in our larger winery. So um, we built that new winery uh, from scratch. Um, we worked with Gary McKibben, uh, the owner and winemaker of Red Caboose Winery. He's also a winery architect. And we, um, we put the winery together so that we could do up to 5,000 case production in that building. Um, and then also uh, that building is actually part of a future expansion plan for us, for our, our winery vineyard there to take us up to about 10,000 cases. Um, but right now that building is working out beautifully. Um, it allowed us to uh, bring in um, all new custom tanks from Italy, um, as well as new equipment, a new grape press, uh, new pumps, hoses, um, storage for barrels, uh, storage for the bottled wine. It just really transformed our winery and um, uh, took us from about a 500 case production winery up to uh, now over 4,000 case production. Um, and um, that has really uh, set us on the right path. Um, the, one of the great things that I love about that winery is that it has an indoor crush pad. Um, in, in Texas, you know, if you're, <laughs> If you're picking your grapes and it's mid-August or it's uh, early September, uh, it is uh, like standing on the surface of the sun. And um, uh, harvest itself is already a tough job. Um, you've got a lot coming at you, uh, the grapes, you've got your winemaking decisions to take care of. And the last thing really that you need to be dealing with is being beat up by the heat outside while you're doing your crushing. So. Oh, I was able to design the building in such a way that we can actually get our distemmer, our sorting table, um, all of our uh, pump and hose equipment, and even our entire grape press inside the building. Um, so when the grapes uh, wow. are being delivered, they go right in. They, they don't get hit by the, um, the hard um, um, afternoon heat. 
And uh, it gives us huge flexibility in, in the winemaking that way. We can keep those grapes very cold um, and it allows us to do cold soaking. Um, we can do cold soaks anywhere from a couple of days to a week if we want to in that new building. Um, just tremendous amount of flexibility with that new, that new layout. Um, do you have additional room on your property to plant more grapes too? Or are you maxed out on what you're going to do there? That property is maxed out uh, at the two acres. There is more land, but we're actually saving that land for um, some other uses. So like I said, we do have an expansion design for the winery itself, as well as um, um, a new pavilion that we're going to be uh, constructing soon um, for, uh, for outdoor music and outdoor gatherings. Um, but I do have my own farm as well, uh, a few miles east of the winery. And we're going to be planting up to a four acre vineyard on that, uh, that land. Uh, we're gonna be planting a, a mix of grapes on that, um, Italian and Spanish grapes. Uh, so that'll take us to about six acres in the North Texas area. And then uh, we do source um, then uh, the majority of our fruit from the High Plains. Um, and that has really been fantastic for us to work with the great grape growers out in the High Plains. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, I, I went to school in Abilene at Abilene Christian University, and, uh, that's where I got my, my graphic design and my marketing, um, and training at. Um, and I remember being in Abilene because I, I grew up in Austin. Um, and so when I moved to Abilene, I thought to myself, you know, what, what is all of this red, uh, dirt, uh, good for? Because there's nothing but mesquite trees <laughs> and more red dirt out here in West Texas. Yep. And lo and behold, um, uh, wouldn't you know that uh, it's become like the premier grape growing uh, area of Texas. Uh, so yeah, I uh, saw that you work with Oswald Vineyard. Yes, yeah, and, and we do. Uh, we source from the Oswalds. We source from. Uh, we were we were getting fruit from Nara Vineyard as well. Uh, we also have some uh, some fruit that we're also sourcing from Ready Vineyards. And there's some other growers that we're working with um, out there in Brownfield too. We really like to to work with um, uh, various grape growers. It just gives us some good variety in the winery. Uh, but yeah, some Ionico, um, Tempranillo, Negromaro, Multipulciano. You know, these are all really wonderful grapes that we've been, we've been fortunate enough to work with. Um, and, you know, honestly, um, every vintage that we've had, we have always gotten Tempranillo and Ionico uh, grapes. Uh, those two grapes have really remained steady for us, regardless of the, the weather, regardless of um, any kind of issues with spring frost and things like that that we might run into. Um, over the last uh, 11 years of winemaking, we've really begun to see there are certain grapes uh, in Texas that are very dependable for us to, to work with. And I know that you are really proud of your Roussan, and I, I love Roussan, and I am so excited about it as a white grape for Texas. Yes, Roussan is, uh, is a favorite of ours. Um, we call it the Texas Chardonnay. Um, you know, customers really love that tropical fruit profile that it has, that, that great pineapple when it really gets truly ripe is fantastic. Um, and you can do so much with it. You can make uh, dry versions, sweet versions. You can uh, leave it in stainless. You can age it in oak if you prefer. Um, it's an extremely versatile grape and uh, a very large producer too. Um, in good years, I mean, it's, uh, it's got quite a lot of tonnage that you can, uh, you can harvest from those vines. So um, wonderful grape, wonderful white grape, we think for Texas uh, going forward. So you've been doing this for well over 10 years. And I wonder how your winemaking approach has changed, or if it has. How, how would you describe your winemaking approach? Oh, that's a, a great question. So um, I am very much uh, a purist, first of all, when it comes to Texas fruit. Um, in the 11 years that we've, uh, we've been in business now, um, we have not used uh, any grapes outside of the state. And um, we have only uh, used... Um, uh, Texas grapes and only made Texas wine. So um, my first uh, philosophy is that um, uh, we would like to maintain only using Texas fruit in our in our blends. Um, and then the second thing is is just uh, balance. Um, 
I found a lot of the times in Texas that what I'm going to need to do is really do a lot of blending. And um, there are the years when we can make those great single varietal wines out of Tempranillo or Ionico, um, maybe something out of Roussan. Uh, but um, I've really found that uh, in some ways, Texas uh, can take some cues from France and that um, the French have conquered uh, their weather issues with, uh, with blends. And I really feel for me that that is kind of the future for our winemaking in Texas. So we are definitely focusing on uh, quite a lot of blends, very unique blends, in fact. Um, we'll blend Ionico with Tempranillo. Um, we'll blend um, Multiple Chiano with Cabernet. Um, uh, we'll blend uh, Tanat with Tempranillo, or uh, we'll throw some, even some Tanat into some Cab Franc uh, to give the Cab Franc a bit darker color. Um, uh, so uh, for me, my philosophy begins with that, that that blending approach to wine. Um, and then um, as well, uh, really working with those grape growers to get the best ripeness we can with the best chemistry that we can. Um, it is always a fight a bit in Texas because um, I'm always a bit jealous. I mean, in California, you know, your, your choice to pick your grapes, you've got about, you know, maybe one, two weeks, we stretch it to three you've got a very large window of when you can actually bring that fruit in. In Texas, it's about three days. <laughs> or like, we need to do it right now because there's a storm coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So that, for me, that's just really taught me so much about um, the power of blending in Texas. You can really smooth out um, some of those variances in the vintages. And, uh, um, you know, if we're going to be able to provide consistency in Texas, that's what I really feel is, really working with multiple grapes in the bottle to, um, to really um, give your customers the same ballast wine from year to year. So that's, uh, that's, that's uh, the main heart of my winemaking philosophy there. I also do try to let the grapes speak for themselves. I don't like to try to clobber it with too much oak. Um, at most, we're aging in maybe 50% new oak uh, for um, about six months to a year. Um, and that's because the fruit in Texas can be very delicate, you know. Um, even if we do a, a three-day cold soak um, and, uh, and we're doing good maceration in the tanks, um, you still have to be careful to not overrun the Texas fruit with uh, too, many other, uh, too many other things like, like, like oak. So um, uh, really working hard to maintain that fruit um, and that color in those Texas grapes um, is important. And um, so really trying to be gentle with that fruit as much as we can, not over oak it. Um, uh, we do minimal filtering on the wine up to where we need to based on its microbial stability. Um, and then of course we do also have um, our own laboratory as well. Um, that was one of the things that we actually put into the new winery building was the ability to do our own uh, lab with our own spectrophotometers and uh, really be able to, to, to diagnose that fruit right when we get it in the winery. So um, I've encouraged other Texas winemakers as well, whenever you can build any kind of lab that you can, uh, any kind of lab equipment you can get your hands on is going to dramatically improve uh, the quality and the consistency of your wine. So those are some of the things that we do in our winemaking at Eden Hill. I know your marketing background has come in handy in the winemaking and winery ownership world, but maybe you're also wishing you would have studied chemistry, right? That sounds like a, <laughs> yes. a big job. Yes. You know, I, I had a, um, I did not have a great chemistry teacher in high school and I, I always kind of regretted that. Uh, it's amazing the difference that a good teacher can make in your life. And, uh, but the chemistry that we had at Grayson was, was wonderful. Uh, it was really just so fascinating to finally understand um, the balance between acids, pH, um, uh, the uh, anthocyanins and things like that, um, anthocyanins in, in the grapes, uh, where the color and the tannin is coming from, um, how it all works when you're, uh, when you're aging your wine, um, the interaction between the wine and the oak, being able to finally study that, um, from a chemical perspective was eye-opening uh, to me. Um, oh, I bet. So much so that um, when we built the new winery building, 
uh, I told mom and dad that I wanted to um, eliminate anything that was unnatural from the wine. So we even went so far as to um, supply the entire winery with a rainwater collection system so that um, every drop of water we use in the winery to make the wine uh, is actually uh, sterilized rainwater. Um, that way I'm not bringing in any additional chemicals um, outside of what the grapes um, grapes have into the wine. Um, but uh, chemistry is, uh, is very important in Texas, very important. That's, I think it's even more important than in California in some ways because um, in California, I, I've been shocked to see, you know, uh, fruit come in with 3.3 uh, pH and 26 bricks, you know, and your, your tartaric acid is still hanging in there. You know, it's, you still might have six grams per liter tartaric acid at harvest. It's just mind blowing. Um, and so you can kind of, uh, in some grape growing regions of the world, you can pick the grapes, you put them in a tank and you're ready to go. And you don't really have to worry too much about that chemistry. Uh, but in Texas, you really need to keep an eye on it, a very close eye on it. Um, we can grow wonderful grapes in Texas, just incredible fruit. But because of our weather patterns and because you've got that three-day window, um, you really have to be able to um, uh, work hard in the winery on that chemistry. If you need to adjust your pH, adjust it. Um, uh, because, uh, you know, we... Um, uh, it's important for us to give our customers a great bottle of wine. And okay. so if you need to bring that pH down, bring it down. If you need to um, acidulate a bit here or there to improve the balance or structure of the wine uh, based on the chemistry, then, uh, then do that. Now, you don't need to overdo it, of course. Um, but uh, knowing your chemistry in Texas can definitely make you a much stronger winemaker. So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I do encourage anyone to maybe check out that school at Grayson or even some of the new programs at Texas Tech and Texas A&M. Uh, they're doing a wonderful job uh, bringing in those, um, starting those new four-year degree programs. I just think, you know, being able to go to those programs now and get that training in chemistry is going to just really elevate Texas winemaking going forward. Do you also have a bottling line in your winery? We actually use uh, a two-legged uh, bottling line um, <laughs> in our winery. <laughs> so um, we did used to use a mobile bottling line. Um, and then we uh, discovered that our wine club members love to help us bottle. And so uh, we went ahead then and invested in a semi-automatic bottling line. Um, so we have a you know, filling and a corking machine. Um, and, um, and, you know, a, um, a capping foiling machine, but they're semi-automatic. So uh, instead of having an actual conveyor belt that takes the bottles through the machines and having the machines do everything in a fully automatic line, instead, we actually uh, send out a call to wine club members and they, uh, they love to come in and help us bottle. And so even though as we've grown um, and we're, we're getting over that 4,000 case mark, the... Um, uh, we still uh, actually have volunteers come in and uh, they help us run the bottling line. And we've never moved away from that because part of making wine at Eden Hill, um, like I said, is about balance. And uh, we take that balance all the way through even to bottling. Um, so we balance the machinery with, with volunteers. That's awesome. Do they help harvest too in your estate? They do, yes. So uh, because it's a two acre vineyard, it's not quite big enough for a machine harvester, but also one of the reasons why we do get such great chemistry from that fruit, I believe is the hand picking. So um, we will actually bring in um, an all volunteer crew to help us harvest our Tempranillo vines there. Did you ever imagine that there would be such growth in the area when you bought land in Salina? <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> I mean, that it's crazy how much North Texas has exploded over the past several years. People moving, you know, out of the city into more of rural area, but then also from out of state, just huge, huge population growth. Yeah, it's been a huge change for us. When we first started, there was really nothing around us. Uh, there was a small subdivision uh, to our east. And uh, there was a, um, a, a piece of land to our uh, west with a mobile home on it. <laughs> there was uh, literally nothing there. Um, 
Uh, Preston Road was a, a two-lane um, highway up where we were. Uh, it narrowed down before you even got to our vineyard. And um, uh, even to attract people to the vineyard, um, we uh, had to put out a highway sign uh, to try to catch the traffic that was going from Dallas out to Lake Texoma. And um, it was a very, very small, very small town feel. Uh, there was like a, only a few spots to eat in downtown Salina. There was a, a burger store called Burger Fixins. It's still there. Great hamburgers, you know, and uh, there was a, a barbecue joint and, a, and a, uh, an American, you know, kind of a country food uh, joint there. Um, very small town, and it was, it's really shocking to see the growth. Um, uh, we are now almost completely surrounded uh, by subdivisions, um, wonderful subdivisions, but still it's uh, um, the farmland is quickly being, um, being converted there. Um, they say that Salina is probably going to reach um, 300,000 people um, in about uh, five years. Uh, the tollway is now um, almost reached Salina. They just got that over Highway 380 now. Um, uh, for your listeners that maybe are not from the North Texas area, um, DFW is the fourth largest metroplex now in the entire country. And that uh, puts us right behind Los Angeles and the New York uh, metroplexes, just to give you a, a context about how fast things are moving in North Texas. Um, it's crazy. In some ways, it's almost a bit of a shame because we've discovered that there are some grapevines that grow wonderfully in North Texas. I think the limiting factor now in planting vineyards in North Texas is not uh, the fruit quality. Um, it's actually the land cost. I mean, if similar to the hill country, probably. Yes. Yeah. If your land is going to cost, uh, you know, uh, forty to fifty thousand dollars an acre, it begins. It starts to be tough to plant a vineyard to to uh, be profitable there. But um, yeah. Well, one thing that you've done to appeal to a different area of town is to set up a satellite tasting room down at the Dallas Farmer's Market. Yes. Yeah. We, we um, were looking to expand our reach to find um, um, additional markets. And um, uh, due to my marketing background, we, we've been uh, uh, very religiously tracking, you know, <laughs> um, you know, the, the social media, where are people um, finding us um, on social media? Where are they finding us on the web? A uh, great way to see where your customers are coming from. And um, we discovered that uh, almost half of the customers that were finding us in the Metroplex area were from Dallas. Um, and um, so we started to kind of look around in downtown Dallas to see if there was a space that we could find. And uh, uh, at that time, before the pandemic, um, we uh, spent uh, several weekends and, and several months down at the Dallas Farmer's Market. Uh, the Dallas Farmer's Market is the oldest farmer's market in the state, and it's right in the heart of downtown. It's, it's kind of a shocking thing, really, to see a farmer's market right in the middle of this major um, a skyscraper and, uh, and, and metropolitan urban environment, um, but that kept it going. and. Um, uh, it's a huge draw uh, for uh, for Dallas and the surrounding area. So uh, we really found um, a lot of new customers that were coming in to the farmer's market um, that did not know that there were wineries and vineyards in North Texas. And um, we would be selling there at, at the Dallas farmer's market. We'd tell people about our vineyard. And 45 minutes later, they would drive from the farmer's market out to Salina <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! And go to the winery. You know, they would make that trip. Uh, they would actually leave the farmers market and, and immediately drive out to the winery. Uh, and so we thought, you know what? Um, let's take a chance and um, get a small satellite uh, tasting room uh, there at the farmers market. And so uh, we were able to do that, and that's been very successful for us. Um, it's been wonderful because we have been able to uh, get in touch with a lot of chefs um, and really be involved in um, the foodie industry there in Dallas. And it has really opened us up. Um, we now get such a great variety of people because, because of our location at the farmer's market that it's been wonderful uh, for our winery. Have um, those chefs come through with restaurant uh, wine list placements? Yes, they have. Yeah. Um, 
uh, things got honestly a bit stalled out because of the pandemic, um, but they're now uh, picking back up again. And um, it is, it's been fantastic. The, um, you know, we've just been really overjoyed that restaurants in Texas have been willing to take the chance on Texas wines. And I have to, you know, I'm kind of standing on the shoulders of giants here. There have been so many wineries before us that have really opened that door to smaller wineries like us to have a chance to go into restaurants. And uh, that has been extremely meaningful for us because it's yet another way for people to experience our wines and um, uh, find them locally. Uh, so yes, yeah, um, both those, both our estate location in Salina and our downtown Dallas location have definitely helped us with, uh, with wine lists uh, here in North Texas. That's great. North Texas Wine Country is the name of a trade association that's similar to the Texas Hill Country Wineries Association in the Hill Country, but the North Texas group got together a number of years ago, and I know that you've been a leader in the group. Can you talk about the opportunities for that group and just what you see as the, as the exciting future for wineries in North Texas? Yes, yes. So we're trying uh, right now to let the world know that there is this new uh, wine country, as we call it, up here in North Texas. Um, like I was saying before, North Texas is the fourth largest metroplex in the country. And with DFW Airport uh, bringing in massive amounts of tourism, um, the North Texas region was, uh, was primed and ready to become uh, the next great wine region in Texas. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but there's actually over 80 wineries in North Texas, um, almost as many as the same number of wineries down in the Hill Country. Um, our North Texas region, we like to say, it goes all the way from, from Dallas uh, over to Fort Worth up to the Red River, right? And um, uh, so we decided um, that what we should do is really try to get our wineries to band together. Um, there have been various trails that have tried over the years in North Texas to kind of get people to, uh, to group together, but we decided that what we should do is, is just form an association that can focus on one thing, and that's really marketing the wineries of North Texas. And so we have several uh, trails a year, but the main things that we do are uh, providing events for customers to come out and um, see the wineries, see these wineries in their backyard. Um, but then also we have several events where the wineries go to the customers um, uh, on the flip side of that. So we'll have like the Drink North Texas Festival where the wineries and the association can actually kind of come to this location and uh, that's central inside the metroplex and customers can come and try all the wines all at once from those north texas wineries uh that's been very important to us because uh, obviously and for good reason the hill country is is a uh, is kind of ground zero for wine tourism in texas um, but with the dfw metroplex growing at the rate that it is and with a number of people moving in not just from elsewhere in the state, but elsewhere from the country, like even from California and Washington and Oregon, um, we were we really felt like the time was ready for us to have our own wine region, our own wine country. Um, so that's been very good for us. The, um, the association has been growing um, every year. Uh, we started that a few years ago, and um, we've just been so um, blessed with the progress that that association has been making. Um, and so uh, it being a great marketing opportunity for all the wineries in North Texas, uh, it has really um, increased customer foot traffic dramatically um, in the member wineries. Um, and uh, we're really thinking it's going to have a, a very bright future. And, uh, you know, our hope is that someday um, uh, when they're writing about wine regions around the country, that uh, the North Texas wine country region is um, is, is seen and elevated as the same, uh, the same region as, uh, say, the Hill Country. I hope so. What has COVID changed for you in the winery? Oh, it has is, is changed a lot. Um, I've, got, <laughs> I've got a lot of stories about all the different things that we tried during COVID uh, to reach back out to customers. Um, one of the things, really, that it changed probably the most is just um, outdoor um, having uh, outdoor venues for customers. Um, you know, we, we, since we have 10 acres there in Salina, 
uh, going through COVID really, you know, impressed upon us the uh, the need to have a good outdoor facility as well as an indoor facility. Um, so we're um, we're definitely going to be building uh, our pavilion to allow us to have large crowds uh, for large outdoor music events or just large outdoor gatherings. Um, but um, more than anything, uh, I would say that COVID really bumped our um, online marketing and our online sales and our, our uh, shipping um, capabilities um, to the forefront. So um, doing things like Facebook Live, um, uh, shipping wine um, around the country, um, learning how to ship wine even in hot summer months with cold packs, things like that. That has definitely um, changed how um, how we do do our work um, as well. Um, you know, we found that um, for for Eden Hill, what we want to do the most is really focus on direct to consumer sales. Um, uh, you know, when COVID hit, obviously a lot of the restaurants uh, were closed down, and so we really. Um, had to focus uh, just completely on direct to consumer sales. And so that is something just going forward that we're really going to be um, um, be aiming for. Um, but yeah, definitely having those uh, those capabilities for outdoor events um, as well as just direct to consumer sales through online shipping, um, e-commerce, things like that, that has really uh, changed our our models. Um, and uh, I think that's that's permanent. You know, that's a that's a permanent thing that we're going to be we're going to be having. Yeah. And your vineyard did okay during last February's snowpocalypse. <laughs> yes, actually, it it did. Uh, we lost a few vines, but not really much more than our our typical three to five percent. Um, and uh, it did it did fine. Um, the uh, it's interesting. You know, a funny story about all of that is that. Uh, because the winery runs on rainwater, because it generates its own water for um, uh, the winemaking, um, when all the pipes froze, uh, all we had to do was go in the winery and we could drink the rainwater because it's potable, obviously. And um, uh, because it's, uh, even though it's above ground, the rainwater tank has such mass that it never froze. Oh. So um, <laughs> it's uh, the winery right. almost kind of became like a little, like a little lifeboat, you know? Yeah. Um, Everything was working fine in the winery and, and we didn't get hurt. Um, and uh, so, but yeah, the vineyard came through the freeze uh, just fine. Um, and, uh, um, you know, we, we recovered from that to quite well. That's good. I feel like that Eden Hill and, and you and probably your parents, I haven't met your parents, but you all seem very modest. And the fact is that you guys are winning an insane number of awards year after year. And I haven't seen the kind of press about it, even when I was trying to look on your website to find out what are their top, you know, top awarded wines. It's a little hard to find. You're very modest, um, but you guys are doing great stuff. I saw that the San Francisco Chronicle Awards um, came out and that you guys won four double golds. So that's tremendous. Oh, thank you. We're, we're very honored by that. <clears throat> You're right. We've, uh, a lot of people have told us that maybe we're a bit too modest about the awards that we've been, we've been, uh, honored with, but, um, that really speaks to the fact that, um, honestly, we, we were so focused on the winemaking and the grape growing, um, uh, that, uh, we've put in all of our energy into that, um, less so into talking about uh, the, the awards and the medals that we've we've been garnering. Basically our heads are always inside of our wine tanks so they're <laughs> they're not they're not really in, they're not really out there with the, the marketing of the awards aspect of it but um, uh, you know it, it, it's wonderful to have that kind of recognition. Um, always our primary goal has been to, deliver a consistent and solid, uh, high quality bottle of wine to our customers. You know, you can, you can give your money very easily to California wineries. I, I love my, I love California wine, you know, um, uh, mom being from San Jose, you know, we, we frequent in Napa Valley and Sonoma, but, and I know that customers, uh, they're taking a chance when they put their money in to get a, a bottle of Texas wine. Um, so that's why we're, we're so focused on the, on the winemaking, sometimes to the detriment of not, not talking so much about our awards. But, um, 
that has been that has been a great um, a great experience for us. And uh, what's thrilling about that, honestly, is that it's that the Texas wines and the Texas grapes are holding their own against wines from all over the world. Um, to see a Texas wine uh, like our Ionico or our Tempranillo or even uh, uh, an Albarino go up against a Spanish Albarino and get best in class or a double gold or what have you is thrilling to us because it means that we picked the right grape, we planted it in the right place, and uh, the winemaking uh, was the correct, you know, winemaking technique. It's it's funny, you know, sometimes when we're pouring at these award shows, uh, for your listeners, uh, when you get an award, you'll often be invited to come and pour um, at a, an event that that wine competition has after the, the show is over. Um, and so I remember standing down in Houston at the Houston International Rodeo on Corks um, a few years ago, and we were, we were pouring uh, one of our wines that uh, picked up a good medal there. And um, your booth is right next to other you know, famous California wineries. And the, the customer, a customer walked up to me and um, he said, oh, I, I love this Ionico. You know, I love this blend of Tempranillo Ionico. Um, I didn't realize that they were growing Ionico and Tempranillo in Napa Valley. Where are you at in Napa Valley? And <laughs> I said, I said, well, we're we're very we're southern Napa, very southern <laughs> Napa. <laughs> maybe you've never heard of it. Yeah, maybe you've never heard. Yeah, exactly. Right? Wow, that's so, funny. So when you get that kind of feedback at those award ceremonies, um, that's very meaningful, uh, you know, and not so much um, just because of the awards, but just because of the I think the surprise you get to give to people that, right. you know, you're not drinking you know, California or Oregon or Washington wine, you're drinking Texas wine and, um, and it, and it has the same quality, um, as the rest. So at a recent awards competition, uh, that was held in Florida, a Texas winery won best in class red and the head judge in the press release that announced the winners and said, the reason we do this blind is because this wine never would have won otherwise. (laughs) <laughs> that's okay. That's par for the course. Yeah, that's <laughs> it is right. I mean, yeah. do you see the the tide shifting um, toward people being more willing to try Texas wine? Do you do you see the people that visit you maybe from out of state are more willing to try it than from in state? Yes. Yeah, I, I do. Um, there because of a certain companies that have been moving to North Texas, like Toyota. Um, and um, some other companies from the West Coast, as well as from the East Coast, um, we're getting a lot of international style palettes. We're getting a lot of East Coast, West Coast palettes now. And the, the makeup of the customers in our tasting room is, um, has been shifting a lot. It's, been, it's becoming a real mix, honestly, of people from Texas, from the different coasts. And so, um, we get, uh, I can't tell you how many stories I have about people walking in uh, that have just freshly moved here from California because they have to move because their companies have moved. And they'll walk into the tasting room and say, oh, I was so worried, you know, when I when I moved to Texas that I was going to leave the wine, the wine culture behind. But um, I, I've come into Eden Hill and this is like, this is like an island to me. It's like I've, I've found a home again of where I can, <laughs> I can have wine that reminds me of, of where I'm from. and. Um, so they're, they're definitely willing to take that chance. You know, they, um, they're very much uh, wanting to explore the food scene and, um, and, and take that chance on getting a Texas wine. And I really think that the press, uh, like yourself, um, talking to Texas winemakers and wineries, as well as the award ceremonies that you're talking about, uh, that has really improved Texas's standing in the industry. Um, even as well as some of the, the the, the goings on in Texas as, as far as trying to get that 100% Texas uh, label uh, issue solved. All those things together are really helping to drive um, easier acceptance of Texas wine. So we have seen that, that improvement definitely in our tasting rooms. Good. Well, is there any topic or area that I haven't asked about that you want to be sure and talk about for the podcast? I, I do get a lot of folks that will come into the tasting room and they'll ask me, you know, um, uh, you know, I've always uh, 
had this dream of being a winemaker or growing grapes, you know, um, is Texas uh, the right place to do that? And what, what I'd like to say to those people is absolutely, yes, Texas is the right place to do that. Texas is a very open and uh, very accepting state. Um, Texans love everything. They love beer. They love spirits. They love wine. Uh, they are um, they don't really look down on um, on, on new industries or new businesses in Texas. Um, they're very uh, they're very supportive of of, um, of new industries in the state. I guess that's maybe that's why Texas is called the friendly state. I don't know. That's possible. I guess it's possible. But, but definitely, I mean, if you if you want to try your hand at winemaking and grape growing in Texas, do it. Absolutely. I mean, we we could have we could have moved to California. We could have moved to Oregon or Washington, but we didn't. We decided to stay in Texas, you know, uh, because it's starting to be part of this uh, this movement in Texas to um, uh, this wine industry. It's it's fantastic. I in some ways we're still a little bit like the Wild West, you know, almost like California was like in the 1970s where people were trying different varieties in different places. Um, but that's also exciting too, to be a part of. Um, and, uh, cause I'll be honest, I mean, being part of the North Texas winery association it, every week, almost I'm meeting a, a new winery that I didn't know about that existed here in North Texas. And they're all, uh, giving it everything they've got, you know, they're all trying extremely hard to make a great bottle of wine. Um, and so all those people are from every background you can imagine every industry, uh, the best people that I've ever worked with uh, in my life are in the wine industry. So definitely jump in with both feet and uh, don't look back. Give it a try. Um, you're going to find that um, winemaking and grape growing in Texas is a uh, is a great uh, a great craft, a great craft to be a part of. And um, uh, let's get let's get Texas more of those, of those more of those great awards. Absolutely. Well, it is an exciting time. And I, I love to hear people's stories, obviously, and, uh, and share them. So there's just a, an endless variety of uh, stories to tell and people to meet out there. Where should people follow Eden Hill? Oh, well, so you can follow us on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Eden Hill Winery. Um, our Instagram is growing. Uh, it seems like there's kind of like maybe a bit of a shift going on right now from Facebook to Instagram and uh, things like that. So uh, definitely Instagram uh, and Facebook. Uh, we also have a very active email program. Maybe that's just because of my background in internet marketing. I I still love email. So uh, we still do a lot of uh, work on uh, email marketing. And, um, and then definitely just come see us. Come see us out at the estate in Salina. You can tour the vineyard. You can tour the winery. Um, if you're ever in the mood for some, some fresh vegetables or fresh, uh, fresh food at the Dallas farmer's market, come on down to Dallas and you can find our store there. And, um, and we'll definitely, we'll see you on the, the North Texas uh, wine trail as well. Thanks so much, Chris. Next up, demerits and gold stars. Spring and fall are my favorite seasons to visit the Texas Hill Country. If you find yourself needing a place to stay in Fredericksburg, be sure to look up Cork and Cactus, my two-king bedroom, one-bath place, less than a mile from Main Street. It's north of the Pacific War Museum, the same side of town as a few of my favorite restaurants in town, like Otto's, La Bergerie Wine Bar, and the taco stand with much less fanfare, Main Street Taquitos. The house is on a corner with ranch land on two sides, so you'll get daily visits from neighboring cows and deer. Come enjoy the Texas wine country and get away from it all at Cork and Cactus. Find Cork and Cactus on Airbnb or book at heavenlyhosts.com. And now it's time for demerits and gold stars. I like to recognize things that are impressive or clever going on in the world of Texas wine. And I do that by awarding gold stars. And occasionally I also give out demerits. But this week, it's just gold stars. My gold star goes to the ageability of Texas wine. Andrew Chalk, a Dallas-based food and wine and travel writer, is doing a series of tastings of Texas wines that are at least 10 years old. So far, he's tasted and written about four wines. First was the 2011 Pedernales Cellars Two Block, which was 65% Tempranillo and 35% Trigue Nacional. 
Does it age? Andrew says, hell yeah. Wine number two is the 2012 Fall Creek Meritus from Texas Hill Country. It's a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot. Sergio Quadra is the winemaker. Once again, Andrew says this wine has aged well. Next is the 2003 Pheasant Ridge Cabernet Sauvignon Reserve from the High Plains. Andrew writes, the star feature at this point in the wine's age is undoubtedly the nose. It's a powerful, low-lying cloak of cigar box, lavender, and oak barrel, and it reminds him more of Bordeaux than Napa. He says this wine is impressively age-worthy and a real pleasure to sip. And finally, wine number four is the 2008 Keepersall Texas Merlot. Andrew says that the nose is full of secondary and tertiary aromas, including cedar, cigar box, mushrooms, toasty notes from oak barrels, tobacco, leather, and forest floor. He said he could sip or savor it for hours, a very impressive wine. So that's four for four in Andrew's tally of whether or not Texas wines age well. I'll link to the blog post where you can read more details on each wine that was included in Andrew's research. And that's today's podcast. Get in touch. Email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com. And I'm at texaswinepod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're inclined to support the podcast, you can do that by visiting thisistexaswine.com and clicking the support the podcast tab. While you're there, sign up for the email newsletter. Thanks to Texas Wine Lover for promotional assistance. Visit txwinelover.com to help plan your next winery visit. Don't forget to come back in two weeks for my next episode. Cheers, y'all.